Testing for captioning. Kintorum, are we set with the captioning? Just doing a test. Yep. Okay, go ahead, Sherry. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Mayor's Disability Council meeting. Today is December 15, 2023. This is an in-person and virtual hybrid meeting. This meeting is broadcast to the public on sf.gov TV. We, it is open captioned and sign language um, interpreted. If you need any other accommodations, um, or if you have any difficulty attending this meeting, um, please um, contact us at mod at sfgov.org or call 415-554-6789. The Mayor's Disability Council holds 10 public meetings yearly and they are generally on the third Friday of each month. Um, for, for information about past um, or upcoming meetings, please visit the MOD website at www.sfgov.org forward slash MOD. Um, our next regular meeting will be Friday, January 19th. Oh, I have 2023. No, it's going to be 2024. Got to get used to that. Um, it will also be a hybrid meeting and broadcast on fsfgov.tv. Um, we thank you for joining us, and we are glad you are here. Um, our clerk today is John Costi, and he will be um, perform this function with the use of ASL interpretation. Um, clerk, will you please conduct the roll call? Present. Who? Present. All right, thank you. And now um, we are asking, John, uh, I'm asking clerk to please read the agenda for approval.
Accessibility and shared spaces, and that will be presented by Gregory Slocum, uh, the Department of Public Works, and also with Monica Munowich, who is from the San Francisco MTA, Municipal Transportation Authority. Item number eight is correspondence. Again, is general public comment. Item number 11 uh, or 10 is uh, Co-Chair Sherry Albert's information item, council member comments and announcements. And item number 12, action item adjournment. Okay. Do I have a motion to approve the agenda? And was that a motion, Alex? Yes. And is it second? Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, um, we will now move forward now that the agenda has been approved, uh, um, moved and second. Thank you so much. And we are now going to move on to our general comments. Um, and I will send it back to our clerk. Do I need to get a vote? Yeah. Well, OK. So let's, let's have a vote for approving the agenda. Everyone in favor say aye. Aye. aye and all opposed. Perfect. Thank you, Co-Chair Madrid. OK, now moving on. Uh, clerk, could you please run the general comments, please? Testing. Oh, wow. We're going to start again. Uh, so for, at this time, it's general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public. 
that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes, unless the co-chair determines that in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a large number of public comments being wanted to be made. With respect to today's item-specific discussion items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded at the conclusion of each discussion item before council discussion begins. A reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda including those items raised at the public comment. If you would like to receive a response from the council, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject, in the subject, putting the title MDC comment reply request or you may call us at area code 415-554-6789. If you join the webinar using your tablet or smartphone WebEx app, click on the three horizontal dots icon in the upper corner and then click on raise hand. We will recognize you when it is your turn. You may also use the Q&A feature in WebEx webinar to make a comment. It is located on the top part of the video after touching the screen. If you are using a desktop or laptop computer, the raise hand and QA icons are located at the bottom of your video screen. If you join by phone, Press star three to indicate you would like to make a comment. We will prompt you when it's your turn. Thank you to our clerk. And do we have anyone we start with our in-person um, public comments? And do we have anyone in person today who would like to make a comment? Chair, before we go, Proceed. I just want to ask control room when John is speaking, please put the camera on John's, not the interpreters. Thank you. Go ahead, Chief. Um, so again, I'm asking if we have any in-person public comment today, because we will start there. It looks like we have several okay. public comment in the room today. Would you please step up to the podium and give us your name? Yes, my name is Tina Martin, and I'm a member of Transit Justice. One second, we're going to start your time. The clerk will let you know when to proceed. Okay. Thank you for your patience. 
Okay, thank you. I know later you're going to be discussing JFK Boulevard, uh, but uh, I also want to bring up the question of the elevator at Fifth and Market Street that hasn't worked for years and years. Uh, members of Transit Justice, including our leader, Shia French, have taken action there. People in the Tenderloin have taken action there. Nothing has been done. And so I really do want to address this. I know that it's not on the agenda. I can send you an email afterwards. But Shia French did send out a, a letter, and she copied you. So I hope you did get this, and I hope, I don't know exactly what the procedure is for putting it on the agenda, but I wish you could so that we could really make more public comment and we could uh, have you answer what you can't do when it's not on the agenda. Uh, so that's basically what I want to say. It, this is a something, this is a problem for everybody. You know, of course, people with disabilities, it was brought to our attention by someone who lives in the Tenderloin, and we had two actions this past year on it, uh, rise up for elevators. <laughs> And, you know, Holiday Plaza is one of the places that Mayor Breed really wants to get people to come back to. They're even having a winter wonder wonderland there now. And it certainly would be a plus to get the working elevator. It's a very bad symbol, and it could be need, uh, used by people in elevators, people on walkers who have trouble going the distance to 4th Street. I've tried it out with a friend of mine on a walker. It's really hard. And um, it can be used for people, parents with strollers, uh, people with luggage. I mean, we're not very welcoming to the tourists either if they can't, if they have to lug their uh, luggage up with lots and lots of luggage up the escalator, you know. And people on wheelchairs can't use escalators. So I do hope you'll put this on the agenda. And that's basically what I want to say. And thank you. And then later on, I'd like to address the question of JFK Boulevard and the ADA uh, compliant shuttle buses. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Um, hello, my name is Ruthie Weiss. I'm a junior in high school, and this winter I'm working with MOD as a part of my service program, and one of the things I'm going to be doing is in collaboration with um, the council and kind of addressing uh, or helping organize action items um, and getting to know the council members specifically to help assist them with uh, their needs and interests and ideas pertaining um, to action items and anything else. That's all. Well, thank you for your comment. And welcome. Is there anyone else uh, in person for public comment? Okay. Hello. Good afternoon. My, my, my name is Paul Bendick. Could you, Paul, could you speak into the mic, please? We need to no, turn oh, your I'm mic on here. Very sorry. Get a little bit closer if I can. We're getting it on. Oh, this one, please. Sure, sure. Let's try that one. Uh, you know, maybe I'll just hold it. If you know, actually, if you'll hold it down for me, thank you very much. 
Good afternoon again. Um, my name is Paul Bendix. Yeah. I'm just visiting here today to uh, <laughs> get a sense of the committee and uh, what the experience is like of being here. But I did on the way encounter some interesting um, uh, obstacles. I just wanted to uh, somehow put into the public record. One involves going across um, UN Plaza, the skateboarders, almost killed me and in my 300 pound electric wheelchair I could have almost killed them there really there, there there's no signs there are no signs um, it's very hard for one to want to get a clear sense of what the accessible route is from the BART station to uh, this particular location and then once I got to City Hall I got up to the uh, front door found that the wheelchair lift was um, out of service Followed the sign around to McAllister Street, where all the doors were locked. Went back to the front door, found out once again that I should have gone around to the other side, where no one knew why the existing wheelchair uh, door openers weren't working. So here I am. And uh, good to be here. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you for your comment, Paul. This is Nicole speaking, and thank you, everyone, as we navigate the microphones. Unless we can get them working, our captioner and those online are unable to uh, hear our comments. So thank you for your patience. Thank you, Nicole. Um, we want to now turn to hey, Wait a minute. Hang on. Is there anyone else in the room that would like to make general public comment? Sure, sure, come, yeah, sure. Excuse me, I forgot to acknowledge that Helen Smolinski did respond to some of our complaints and concerns, and so I just wanted to acknowledge that. That's in relation to, the, to both the elevator that's been non-functioning for several years and to our concern about the ADA-compliant shuttle buses at, on JFK. Thank you. Thank you, Tina. Okay, let's move online. John, go ahead. Oh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Richard, and I would like the council to agendize two items. One is uh, what is a qualified disability in reference to calling in now that the mayor and the board of supervisors saying you can only call in if you have a disability. But what is a disability? I mean, somebody who sets the standards as the clerk for each committee or is there gonna be a uniform standard and it, I mean, does people have to let the whole world know that they have a disability? You know, I think uh, this was done awful haphazardly, and I think uh, you should have a meeting and maybe asking Eric Supervisor Peskin in the mayor's office to come by and explain what a disability is, or maybe ask the staff to have what is a disability. I don't know if I qualify or not. How do I find out? 
And the other thing is, is about the blue zones. MTA is taking away blue zones and not replacing them in a timely manner. They took one away, and I had to tell the other part of MTA that they took away the blue zones. One hand didn't even know the other hand, and there was one right across the street on Market on Van Ansa and McAllister. It was right near City Hall. Now they're moving it a block away, which is more inconvenient. So I think MTA is very disrespectful for the disability community. So maybe if you could have, uh, I don't know who to invite, but I'm sure uh, your staff could figure out and have somebody come here and have a comprehensive plan about blue zones and not taking them away without having a replacement at the same meeting. I just think this is very disrespectful. And uh, I think this council needs to be more aggressive. It's just being harder to be a senior in disability and dealing with the with a city government. And it should be your job to help make it easier for us to deal with city government. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your comment. Is there anyone else on WebEx? Yes, hello? Yes. Uh, this is this is William Railing. I am speaking for Accessible San Francisco, which is an unincorporated nonprofit association. Um, and I have observed, you know, there's a constant process of planning for future uh, committee, uh, 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 meetings, and uh, so I just thought I'd put in a word in favor of one of the items that is often considered, um, and that is the city's accessible business entry, entrance program. Uh, it, I don't think there's been a recent update on that, and it would be uh, a good a good one to hear. Um, this is really a, a wonderful program, um, you know, totally apart from the federal ADA. The California Building Code has had accessibility requirements for uh, over 40 years now, uh, long before the ADA. Um, however, building code requirements uh, only kick in when there's a construction project that requires a building permit, normally. Now, uh, local jurisdictions are allowed to create amendments to the statewide building code as long as those amendments are stricter than the regular statewide building code. And San Francisco did something remarkable. It actually created a program in which um, it decided to make the building code more, more protective of accessibility than the regular building code that applies everywhere in the state. And, and, and what the program does is create an affirmative requirement for businesses unless excused uh, for some reason, uh, to make at least their front entry accessible. A lot of businesses that you see still have a step after all these years, um, you know, claim that they have not done any construction which would require them to upgrade that. And sometimes that's true, sometimes that's not true, but this is a great program in creating that uh, requirement. And there's been a lot of implementation activity and there is a lot of pressure to, uh, on the city and county to um, slow walk the program. 
right? Not uh, give uh, extremely broad exceptions. But um, another uh, reason in favor of hearing uh, more about this program is that it's run by the Department of Building Inspection. Um, and uh, you don't hear too often from DBI. And, uh, and DBI is just very important uh, player in the creation and, inspect and maintenance of accessibility in, in San Francisco. So just a reminder of that. And it's, it's possible that there's been an item and I missed it. So I apologize if that's true, but I do hope that sometime in the near future, you might get an update from the DBI staff on that, on that program. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? Yes, there is okay. one more public comment. I just need, we need to pause. For the interpreter. Got it, okay. Go, go ahead, caller, thank you. Okay, thank you. I'll try to speak a little bit more slowly. Um, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Alyssa Chung. I live in the Ocean View, Merced Heights, and Ingleside neighborhood, also called OMI. Um, I live on the St. Charles Avenue bike path, which is the main thoroughfare between uh, OMI and Daly City BART, and several important businesses south of Brotherhood Way. Um, SFMTA actually considers this street, St. Charles Avenue, um, part of its official bicycle network map, I'll just note. Um, so I'm calling on behalf of We Are OMI. It's a, we're a community group that advocates for neighborhood resilience and improvements. Um, and I'm calling to inform you about an issue that I have been trying to fix uh, for a year and have tried with both DPW and SFMTA uh, and my supervisor's office to address, um, but have gotten nowhere. I'm trying to add a curb cut to a pedestrian walkway that serves the elderly, young families, cyclists, and pedestrians. Um, and we have the largest population of young children in our district, and there's a major senior center just a few blocks away. Um, and I believe that the lack of a curb cut here constitutes an ADA violation. Um, <clears throat> just for reference, this pedestrian walkway um, is, a, is a ramp that connects um, the north side and the south side of St. Charles Avenue. It crosses Brotherhood Way. On the south side, there is a beautiful curb cut, but on the north side, there is a chunky seven-inch curb um, that I've seen uh, folks on wheelchairs, people with strollers, bicyclists all struggle to get on because they um, cannot get on the, um, on the sidewalk. Um, they have to resort to going up a neighbor's driveway, um, and it's often blocked by cars. Um, as I mentioned, I've tried contacting DPW, and they've referred me to SMTA, who's also referred me back to DPW. Um, and my supervisor's office, Super Safai, has also given, uh, been given the same runaround by both agencies. Um, and I believe they're trying to elevate it to the mayor's office of disability. Um, so I just wanted to inform you about this issue. I feel frustrated um, because I see people struggling with this daily. Um, and I also think um, it really disadvantages uh, folks who um, have disability issues or accessibility issues in my neighborhood. 
Um, and uh, my neighbors are complaining. So would love to hear what I can do to get move this forward um, and really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comment. One moment. I believe that's our, our last public commenter. This is Nicole, the director of Mayor's Office on Disability. I just wanted to highlight two things that we weren't able to highlight in our introduction today. One is um, thank you so much for participating. And if you are watching on SFGov TV and you would like to call in and make a comment, it's helpful to the TV broadcast if you can turn your TV down. That helps with feedback. Um, in, in terms of being able to hear everyone in the best way. The other uh, piece that I wanted to add is if you would like a response to any public comment today, uh, formally from the council or from Mayor's Office on Disability, you can email the council at <coughs> mdc at sfgov.org or, or email mod at sfgov.org or you can call us if you don't have access to the internet at 415-554-6789. That is all. Thank you, Director Bond. Okay, um, we are gonna move on. Um, next we have um, the co-chair report, <laughs> which will be given by me, Sherry Albers. <laughs> Okay, so our co-chair report for this month. Um, the MDC did not meet in November because the events associated with the um, APEC conference. Um, so since the October um, MDC meeting, um, the housing committee of the MDC has met twice and they are focusing on the issue of the elevator maintenance um, and outages. Um, in our February 16th public meeting, MDC public meeting, um, we will be um, addressing this topic, so stay tuned for that. Um, in, in, in response to um, our presentation from San Francisco Human Resources in our October MDC meeting, the Employment um, Committee um, will be meeting with HR um, coming uh, the first of the year, and we will be discussing concerns with um, disability data collection, um, the self-identification questionnaire, as well as the um, reasonable accommodation um, program. Um, in October, um, Co-Chair Albers attended the Cultivating Justice in the Parks event with the Partnership for the Presidio um, Activators, um, and that was celebrating two years of work um, and testing accessibility in, install for installations at the um, Presidio Tunnel Tops Park. Um, it was really um, an awesome event. Um, on November 8th, um, Co-Chair Albers and Member Sassoni and actually um, Director Bond 
if there's any other members, um, let me know, but um, chime in. But um, we attended the grand reopening of the um, Talking Book and Braille Center at the San Francisco Main Public Library, which was a grand event, and everybody should go and check out the new space. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, in November, also, um, Co-Chair Albers participated in a PSA, Public Service Announcement, video, which is yet to be released, but it's demonstrating the legal-ish and illegal-ish, um, well, I shouldn't say that, legal and illegal um, scooter and bike riding protocol um, on streets and um, sidewalks. So that's a very hot topic and hopefully it'll um, send a message and help people understand um, how to do ride scooters and bikes safely without pedestrians and people with disabilities and wheelchair users um, getting hurt. Um, so with that, uh, I conclude my co-chair report for the month of December. Thank you. And now I am like to turn our attention to the report from the Mayor's Office on Disability to Director Nicole Bond. Thank you, Albers. I want to thank you, Co-Chair Albers, and uh, and thank you to the. I'm sorry that my back is to everyone, but. Thank you so much for uh, your engagement over the last several months. It's, it's very, uh, I'm always very pleased uh, when we have members of the council um, out and about in these very important activities, so thank you. Uh, my report today is going to be, the full report uh, will be posted at, uh, on the MDC website and on the MOD homepage um, uh, at sf.gov backslash mod and sf.gov backslash mdc. What I'm going to do is briefly go over a few things that I'd like to highlight that's happening with local, state, and federal uh, legislation and I talk about just a few uh, things for the council to consider for upcoming uh, hearings. Several of what I'm about to talk about have already been mentioned by uh, public uh, commenters, so thank you so much um, for uh, emphasizing these things. The first one I want to talk about is uh, the file number 231020 that amended the rules of order limiting remote public comment. Um, as, the, as the public commenter mentioned, this has been a change, I mentioned this uh, last time in October, and all boards and commissions have been encouraged to uh, provide remote public comment in the case of a reasonable modification or accommodation or request of a person with a disability uh, only. The Mayor's Disability Council, because it's a passive meeting body, uh, and the MOD staff plan to continue to support hybrid participation in public comment for persons with disabilities, and the Mayor's Disability Council and the MOD staff also do reserve the right to limit the remote participation for, of anyone who may not be engaging in an appropriately civically-minded discourse. But I really do encourage the Council to 
uh, continue to monitor this or call for an update about this item at a future public meeting. Uh, and then the second item that I'd like to speak about is file number 231005, which is that reference to the amendments to disability access improvements or better known as the ex uh, accessible business entrance program. There is currently legislation supervised, uh, sponsored by Supervisor Mandelman that has extended some deadlines and there's also some other uh, items in consideration related to this program that would significantly either streamline compliance or change the nature of the program. And so MOD is connected uh, several to the supervisor's office, including several of you on the MDC, uh, the Access Appeals Commission, and members of the Community Alliance of Disability Advocates, CADA. And the council is encouraged to engage with this item. There are a couple others, but I am gonna move forward now to, um, to some federal legislation. The state legislation is, remains the same around autonomous vehicles and transportation network company progress. You can, uh, you can refer to that in depth. And again, if you would like a, a, a separate copy of the report, it will be online, but we can provide that to you as well. Federally, though, I would like to emphasize that there is currently a request for comment on, it's a, it's a long title, but it's Agency Information Collection Activities Submission to the Office of Management and Budget for Review and Approval, Comment Requests on the American Community Survey. This is better known as, this is the data that the federal government uses to, um, to uh, that impacts our census counting. And individuals and organizations are encouraged to comment the deadline is approaching. It is Tuesday, the 19th. This notice changes how disability status information is collected via the American Community Survey. And as I mentioned, this is the tool that's, um, that's employed by the US Census. And uh, many disability rights organizations, including but not limited to the American Association of People with Disabilities, are concerned that the proposed changes will produce an undercount in people with disabilities, which will also impact federal funding to state programs. And so on uh, my report, there's reference the, the hyperlink to that. If you would like uh, more information, please do contact us at 415 five five four six seven eight nine and we'll, we'll be happy to get back with you as soon as you can uh, a couple other announcements that I wanted to make um, we did spend as MOD a significant amount of time in the last several months supporting disability access community outreach and emergency operations center activation efforts related to the Asian Pacific Economic Conference or APEC which as you likely widely know, was in San Francisco uh, several weeks ago. MOD has so far provided feedback to the Department of Emergency Management, what we felt went well, as well as lessons learned regarding disability access impacts during APEC, 
and we heard from the disability community during the activation. However, if you do have additional feedback, we're still collecting uh, that in areas for improvement, so please do uh, contact us. We also participated in a public meeting with Human Rights Commission since the last time this committee has, this council, apologies, uh, has uh, been uh, meeting. And so, and one of the recommendations uh, is to consider a, jo a joint council and commission meeting between Human Rights Commission and the Mayor's Disability Council. The two councils have a, a lot in common, so I just want to encourage that again. The remainder of my report are suggestions for other items that you could consider a <coughs> follow-up. I will let the council refer to those. I did add one more, which is around the ramped taxi program update. Uh, SFMTA in several months, last several months, has received grant funding to improve the city's ramped taxi program, including but not limited to significantly increasing the fleet of wheelchair accessible cabs available to residents, visitors, and as a supplement to the paratransit program. And so the council is encouraged to request an update on this. There are other details related to the taxi program that I believe the council and the public may want to uh, be involved in. So that's another item for consideration for you. Um, and I will, I will end my report there with just a repeat if you have uh, questions or would like to engage with any uh, uh, matter on this report, please do contact us at mod at sfgov.org or via phone at 415-554-6789. And with that, I'll turn it back to you, uh, Co-Chair Albers. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that report. Okay, we are now going to move on to um, the update on the JFK Promenade Accessibility Commitment. And this will be presented by um, Lucas Tobin from the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department. Hello, Lucas. Hi, Sherry, and hi, council members. Uh, and MOD members. Thanks for inviting me today to give this update. Appreciate the opportunity. I'm gonna start the slideshow. Okay, it looks like that, that's working. Um, so I am Lucas Tobin. Uh, I'm ADA coordinator for Recreation and Parks for programmatic access, and my contact information is on the slides, and I'll be sharing it again later. Um, this is, the, there's a slightly more updated version of the slide, so I'll make sure and share that with MOD to share with the council. Um, that has a, the next slide would be uh, the link to the updated reports, um, the quarterly and annual reports on JFK that are shared with the Board of Supervisors um, so that you all 
can have access to that link and see when those reports are posted. Uh, but I do think that they were shared recently, um, those updated reports. Uh, so there are a lot of topics to cover. Um, and so I'm just going to jump right in uh, and start covering them. I wish I could say that everything is finished and we're, we're done with all the commitments, but unfortunately, as, as everybody knows, the city moves slowly sometimes, and there are a lot of moving parts with, with, uh, with most of these commitments, so um, I won't be able to say that. But uh, the first topic that we will cover is accessible parking. Um, and these, this first slide is really a review uh, because these items have been completed. Uh, there are 20 new blue zone spaces in the new accessible parking lot that's behind the band shell in the music concourse, as I'm sure everybody knows. And then eight new blue zone spaces that were added um, on Martin Luther King Drive and on Nancy Pelosi uh, near the music concourse and also near the, the tennis center. Um, so those are, those are all new blue zone spaces. Oh, and there's also a shuttle stop at the, in the new parking lot. Uh, this is a photo of the, the new accessible parking lot. It has 20 spaces um, that's behind the band shell. We are hearing that it's full sometimes. Um, so we get, we're getting feedback that it's, it's great to have it, but that sometimes it's full. Um, so it's... It's a, it's a great resource, but of course it's not, it's not, it doesn't solve all the problems. It's not enough. This next slide is a picture from our website. That's a map showing where all the blue zone spaces are in the eastern end of the park. Um, and it's, of course, kind of small to be able to see, but um, it shows that, and this is actually, I realized when I we got this image from the website, it's not showing the new uh, spaces behind the band shell, those 20 new spaces uh, in the parking lot, unfortunately. So I'm going to have to make sure that that gets updated. Um, but if you were able to see, the, this image also shows the number of spaces in each location. And the, the greatest number of spaces is actually in the garage and the music concourse. Um, there are 32 spaces in, in the garage, which brings us to the garage updates. Uh, this is a picture, slide number eight is a picture uh, in the music concourse garage showing, showing some of the blue zone spaces. There are actually 33, but I think we discovered that one really wasn't compliant. Um, so that's why we're saying there are 32. So the, uh, as everyone probably knows, the, the garage is going to be transferred to the city. Um, and once it is transferred, uh, we'll be able to implement flexible pricing. Um, we'll be able to increase the time limit for dropping people off or picking people up. Right now it's 15 minutes, but we'll be able to increase that to 30 minutes, um, which has been requested. Um, we'll also be able to provide additional subsidized parking for 
Discover and Go and Museum for All Pass users, um, and install better wayfinding signage. Uh, whoops. Um, but, <laughs> and the, the transfer was, was uh, due to be completed by the beginning of 2024, um, and that was what was in the most recent uh, update to the Board of Supervisors, um, but when I did some research bef to get prepare for this meeting, um, I, find out, I found out that they're not exactly sure when the transfer will take place. Um, it's being, uh, it's apparently there is a group of about 30 people who are meeting every other month uh, to work on this, half of whom are attorneys, <laughs> and it's, apparently it's incredibly complicated and unprecedented for the city to take over um, the operation of a property from a nonprofit that's been running that property. Um, it's not as straightforward as it sounds like it might be. And so they're comparing it to a rocket launch where it's taking all this preparation work and all this, the, you know, the papers have all been filed and everything, all these things are having to happen once it, is all put together, it'll all come before the Board of Supervisors as one package and to be approved all at once. So once it's all ready to go, it should go fast, um, but they're just not sure exactly when that's gonna be able to happen. Um, so that's the update on that, but of course, once the city is in control of the garage, we'll be able to provide better, much better access to those parking spaces that that are there, that are available, and, and uh, many, many of which sit are empty um, a good, good amount of the time. So the next area to uh, talk about updates is with the shuttle. And again, I wish I could say that everything is complete uh, with the shuttle. But we do have a new transportation demand manager. Um, this position was filled by Emily, Emily Stefuk, um, who's working in our planning department. And she is focused on the shuttle and other transportation issues, uh, including transportation having to do with events, you know, many of which, as you know, take place on, in Golden Gate Park. Um, so it's great to have Emily on board. All right, and then this slide is really just a review, slide number 12, um, uh, that since March 2022, the shuttle's been in service seven days a week. Um, we expand the shuttle hours if there are special events happening and also sometimes modify the route um, to either avoid it, the shuttle getting stuck, stuck in the event or, um, or provide better access to the events. Um, the shuttle is accessible with a lift. Um, and there are three shuttles running on the weekends and holidays with a 15-minute wait, and two shuttles running Monday through Friday with a 20-minute wait. And this slide number 13 is uh, a couple of pictures of somebody uh, using a power wheelchair and boarding the shuttle in front of McLaren Lodge.
this next slide, number 14, is this is also, this is something that's been in place for a while now. Um, but the shuttle does appear if you're uh, looking for directions of how to get to locations in Golden Gate Park. Um, so for example, if you were trying to get from Castro and 18th Street to the Japanese Tea Garden, um, the shuttle's gonna, and you, you're saying that you're taking public transportation, the shuttle will show up in there and tell you which stop to, which, where to get on the shuttle and where to get off to connect with the bus. Um, and that's on Apple Maps, Google Maps, and the Transit app. And so this picture is just showing an example of a route that might come up if you were trying to do that. Um, so ongoing shuttle improvements. We did uh, fairly recently put new temporary signs at the shuttle stops. Um, they have an improved map and also QR code, and the QR code is at a more easily accessible height um, for people who, to access that so they can go directly to the information on the website for the shuttle. Uh, we have uh, gotten the shuttle provider to, to purchase one low floor vehicle um, that should be in, in, uh, in use by late 2024. And we can start testing that out as part of the, the route. Um, driver training is a really important area. Um, the drivers do receive training from the shuttle operator, but we're, we're working to make sure that they're getting more appropriate training, training that's closer to what SF paratransit drivers get. Um, we have run into some issues where shuttle drivers have uh, not, not let somebody on because they thought they would not be able to secure the, their chairs. Um, so we really want to make sure that the, the drivers are well trained and able to tie down all types of chairs and, and do, it, uh, do it efficiently so that it's not um, you know, causing a frustrating situation for everyone um, or people are, are being denied service because we did hear about a couple people who were not, not, uh, not given a ride on the shuttle. Um, so that's something that's this is a really important issue that we're looking into um, and making sure the drivers get better tra training. Um, Real-time arrivals is almost there. Um, it's, it's available on the transit app. The equipment's on the shuttles, uh, the iPads that they use to track the shuttles and give the information to the different uh, places where it needs to go to provide the real-time arrival information. Um, so when everything's working right, it's working on the transit app right now, uh, but apparently there's some glitches with that and they, before it can go on Google, um, they have to make sure that it's really up to the standards for Google. Um, so it's not, it's not quite there yet, but that's, but that's coming hopefully soon. Um, and what is connected with that, I learned recently, um, is that in order to have the onboard text and, and audio information about the stops, the, the real-time arrival information has to be working because those, when you're on the bus and you see or hear the stops being announced, that's because the buses are getting that, um, you know, the GPS information, however that works, is working properly. So 
We're not quite there yet with the onboard information, um, but maps have been uh, installed on the shuttles, so the updated map is on, on the shuttles, and the drivers are trained to announce the stops. Uh, and then as far as the upgraded shuttle stops, where we'll actually have um, ensure that all the landing pads are, are accessible, um, we'll have permanent benches and uh, permanent, <coughs> permanent signage that it, the, the, each of the shuttle stops still have to be assessed um, to determine exactly what needs to be done to each of them to make sure that they're, they're compliant. Um, and then the benches, you know, once that's done, then the benches can be installed. Um, and we're looking into the best type of signage that provides information that's a good, um, you know, accessible, uh, provides and make, make sure that the signs provide the information in, in accessible formats as well. Uh, this next slide, 16, is just a reminder. Uh, it's got the SF Paratransit logo. On the, on the slide, and just a reminder that marked paratransit vehicles are always allowed to drive on the closed roads, uh, including in Golden Gate Park. Um, so if, if somebody's taking paratransit and they wanna go to the conservatory or flowers, the paratransit vehicle can drive right on JFK just like the shuttle does, um, and paratransit's aware of this. Um, so, but there, there are people who still do not are not aware of that, so we just want to make sure the information is out there. Okay, the next section is information and wayfinding. Um, really, how do people get information about getting to destinations in the park uh, before they go, and also how do they get around once once they're in the park? Um, and So misleading signs or uh, signs that were um, uh, no longer relevant have been removed from JFK. Um, and then where there have been new projects, signage has been added, uh, wayfinding signage has been added, uh, like the, the accessible parking lot. Um, there are signs that direct you to the lot uh, if you're driving in, and then also two def destinations in that area um, when you get out of your vehicle. Um, the Stowe Lake, uh, Stowe Lake perimeter pathway work that was just completed includes signage. And the Japanese Tea Garden, um, they're, they're actually, they've, they have funding to do some pathway improvements and uh, accessible pathway improvements in the Tea Garden and part of that work is gonna be um, wayfinding signage. But of course, in the tea garden, it's, it's really important to them that they uh, provide signage that fits with the, the, um, the, the feeling of the tea garden, so it's gonna have to be a balance of making sure it's compliant, accessible signage, but also um, fits in the, uh, the theme of the tea garden or the look of the tea garden. Uh, we completed a project with a team of San Francisco fellows uh, last spring. That was actually a collaborative project with MOD. Um, and uh, that, the project focused on wayfinding in Golden Gate Park. 
and uh, that that project, um, the the group created a map um, that shows where the most accessible routes are um, to get to different destinations in the park from different site arrival points um, or between different points, and um, uh, it also um, talked about uh, made recommendations for signage, wayfinding signage in the park, uh, and other things like, like locations for ben benches or locations possibly for wheelchair charging stations. Um, so there were a lot, a lot that came from that report and we're, um, the report should be published in hopefully the beginning of 2024 um, for everybody to take a look at. Um, and then uh, I'm gonna be taking on an intern from USF in this coming spring who will hopefully be continuing some of that work and will still be coordinating, uh, collaborating with MOD on uh, continuing that project. Um, we're, we're hoping that, the, the, that we're, our goal is to create uh, an accessibility map for Golden Gate Park that could actually inform future maps for other parks as well. Uh, but that's similar to the, the accessibility map that, that uh, Central Park has in New York. Um, and the work of the fellows team and the intern uh, that, that we'll be getting in the spring will, uh, will inform some of that, uh, that mapping um, that's gonna happen, but it involves you know, assessing the whole park for accessibility, providing information for the whole park, uh, and creating the map. So we've actually met with the, the people who created the, the map in Central Park, um, but we, don't ha we haven't identified funding for that yet to actually do that, that work. But hopefully the, the work of the Spellos team and the intern will help uh, make that a little bit easier once we're ready to do that project. And then once that project is done, we'll be able to deliver on the commitment of providing the map in large print and braille and tactile formats. We'll work with the Lighthouse on, on those when, once we're ready. Um, that's something that I'm super excited about, providing something that's similar to what um, the Golden Gate National Recreation Area has um, for, for their properties. On this image on slide 19 is a picture of the SF Fellows team um, learning how to use smart levels, and they're, they're assessing a cross slope of one of the paths on the south side of John F. Kennedy, um, working with uh, John Hospital from Mayor's Office on Disability, who trained them how to use the smart levels. This next image on slide 20 is taken from the map that the SF Fellows created. Um, and it, it's of the music concourse area and the Conservatory of Flowers area. And a little on the right, you can just see McLaren Lodge. Um, so it's not the whole area that they covered, but, but shows most of the area. It's small and hard to see. Um, but there's a link to the, the actual map on the website. And it's a, this map was made in Google My Maps. Um, so it means that it's interactive. It means that you can uh, put the map on your phone and then when you're there in the park, be able to see where you are on the map and use the, you know, find these pathways. Um, but on this image, 
there are yellow lines that show the pathways that they identified as the most usable um, pathways to, to get between destinations in the park. And what you can do when you're, if you're interacting with the map on the website is you can click on individual segments and see where that segment is, you know, the two, two points that, it's, uh, that it'll take you between. Um, and it's also got the locations of public transportation, the shuttle stops, um, and other things like restrooms and parking uh, are also on the map. And so you can just, you can click on the different items. And, uh, and so we're, we're planning to, once the report is out for their project, um, and once we really uh, check the map and make sure it's, it's accurate, we're planning to publish this on the website and give people the chance to start trying it out and see how it works. So hopefully that'll be early 2024 that we can do that. This next image is just uh, an example of what would happen if you clicked on the segment that, and this segment is between the Fulton bus, um, how you would get off at 8th and Fulton, I believe, yeah, 8th and Fulton, and, um, and then go to the entrance of the music concourse and what path you should take if you're gonna do that. And the next image is uh, showing the section of the map that covers the Conservatory of Flowers and shows you which shuttle stop you would get off at to go to the Conservatory of Flowers. Um, one of the, the, really the best part about this project was that we were able to do some virtual uh, tours with members of the disability community. Um, they were virtual and in person, so we did hybrid tours. And so there were several people who came in person um, and, and rode the shuttle with us and toured around and looked at these locations and then other people joined virtually. And the feedback was really great. The feedback that how well it worked, which was, we weren't sure how well it was gonna work. Um, and then also um, the, the information that we got from the community members about you know, the, the signage and the, the pathways themselves and benches and um, all, those, all those kinds of things um, were really, really helpful. Um, and actually, uh, Council Member Madrid joined us for at least one of those um, virtually and provided some, some great input. Uh, so that was really the best part about this, um, this project because that's a, it's a great model, a great example for future uh, engagement with the disability community in, in uh, projects that we're working on. Uh, this slide, um, slide 23, uh, is just um, re a, a reminder that, that the Recreation and Parks website is um, WCAG 2.0 compliant, um, and that Rec and Park is also working to comply with the city's um, digital accessibility standards. Um, we're, um, we've installed uh, Monsito, which is um, uh, software that goes along with our website that in, to ensure accessibility, and the training has happened for the staff who maintain the website. Um, so, uh, so just just a reminder that um, the site, because that that was one of the questions that's come up, is is our site compliant? 
Uh, this next slide, number 24, is um, also uh, information that we've shared before, but that we're, when we provide maps and other wayfinding information on our website, we're also providing text directions um, to make sure that, that people can access the information if they're not able to see, see or read the maps. Um, so this is just an example from the website uh, sharing which roads are closed and how you can still get to the, the park um, using a car. And slide 25 is just, um, just a little bit, uh, little bit more easy to read. It's a little bit bigger image of um, some of the text directions that are in the, on the website. And then this slide um, is number 26, is showing contact information if people have, that's on our website, if people have questions about how to access different areas of the park or if people want to request accommodations. Um, the first email address is, is, uh, is my email address for accessibility-related um, questions um, or accommodation requests and my phone number. Um, and then we have the RPD Info website, or email address, which is our main um, uh, website, um, I mean, email address for p the public to interact with Reckon Park, and then also through 311. Sorry to interrupt, and I know we're running a little bit long, but if you could, just for the folks, could you, would you mind reading your email address and telephone number? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for the reminder, Nicole. Uh, so the email address is rpdaccess at sfgov.org, and the phone number, this is my direct phone number, is 415-831-6834. And then the general email address is rpdinfo at sfgov.org. And this has actually been a sort of a fun thing that I did not expect is that I've also sort of become a tour guide because <laughs> I, get, I get phone calls and, and emails from people coming to visit, you know, and they have a disability and they're coming to visit from out of town and how do I get to, you know, or we're having a wedding in our family and we need to get to this location for the celebration. How do I get there? Um, so that's actually, that's actually kind of fun. And I'll try to speed it up a little bit. Um, like I said, a lot of things to cover. Um, this is, uh, the next section is just about outreach and input from the deaf and disability communities and just uh, listing um, the, some of the outreach that we do and, and um, uh, communication. Um, we have quarterly meetings with MOD um, as quarterly updates, but I would say I probably uh, call and bother Debbie and, and uh, Nicole almost every week. Um, we also provide updates like this to the MDC as requested. Um, most of the current and upcoming Golden Gate Park projects are informed by feedback from the disability and senior communities. And feedback sometimes means complaints, but sometimes that's how we find out about projects that, that, uh, that need to happen. Um, and we do ongoing outreach to the disability and deaf communities about programs and events and things like that. And I'm just going to quickly announce that we're, 
right now doing uh, registration for Camp Mather, which includes Inclusion Week, which is the end of July. So uh, we encourage people to come up for Inclusion Week, but you have to register this month uh, to be able to be part of the lottery for that. Um, then also we participate in the Age and Disability Friendly SF Working Group, um, specifically on open spaces and also uh, anti-ableism. And uh, we collaborate, we have ongoing collaboration with several city and other agencies that serve people with disabilities, including um, BORP, uh, Bay Area Outreach and Recreation Program, who we collaborate with for disability sports, including our adaptive bike program. Uh, so um, next section is just about the adaptive bike program. The slide 30 has a picture of a group of people getting ready to go on a ride and different, different types of adaptive bikes. Uh, another rider riding in the music concourse on a hand cycle. Um, and the program, uh, the goal with our, our goal with the program is to make it become a really San Francisco-based program and uh, have, have the bikes here in San Francisco so we're not paying BORP to bring them back and forth, but we're really running the program ourselves. And the next step for that is getting storage for, for the bikes. Uh, so next area is event access. Um, we, I continue to uh, ensure that we have access plans for recreation and parks events, as well as outside providers, outside organizers events. Um, so rec and park events like the tree lighting or the Halloween event that we had on JFK, uh, I ensure that we have a good access plan for those events. And then I also consult uh, alongside our permits and partnerships divisions um, for other organizers on events like Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, um, the Entwined Elder Mother exhibit that's, that's up now on JFK, uh, World Cup soccer viewing events, and slide 35 is just an example of a map, another interactive map uh, that's used alongside text directions for accessibility. This was from our, the tree lighting event that happened just last week. And some more images from the tree lighting event, uh, Moby mats to provide access to the ramp for the stage uh, for the tree lighting event and uh, an accessible um, temporary drop-off zone. Uh, this next slide, 37, is an image. It's the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Accessibility Map. Um, they still have work to do. It's a very complicated event um, requiring a lot of accessibility. Um, but, but things are getting better with that event um, through the work that we're doing with them. Uh, this next slide, 38, is from the Elder Mother exhibit and their accessibility plan. Um, and we're still uh, finishing our, we had an intern who completed phase two of the event accessibility project um, and how to host an accessible event, the, and pr which provides resources and is also once our permits division um, approves the checklist. We'll provide a checklist to ensure that event organizers know what it is that they have to do. They'll have access to the resources, but they'll also be much more clear on what they have to do in order to make sure their events are accessible. Um, also wanted to announce that we, have an, our, we hired our disability access coordinator, which is another of our commitments. Um, 
It's John Ramady, so unfortunately for MOD, he's now working with us, but it's a, it's a great help to Rec and Park for architectural access. Um, so the two, two of us who are focused on disability access at Rec and Park now are John, uh, who focuses on physical access, and, and myself, focusing on programmatic access. <coughs> Slide 43 is just a, a picture showing the two of us. Um, and quickly, just uh, focusing a little bit on barrier, barrier removal projects that have been happening in the park. Um, the ramp for the Botanical Gardens bookstore is due to be installed in next spring, in March or April. And that slide just had a picture of the bookstore. Uh, this slide has a picture of the new perimeter uh, work that was done around Stowe Lake. Um, making sure that that pathway, the perimeter pathway, is accessible. Um, so that work has been completed and it's open. It's very nice. Uh, and then, like I mentioned before, Japanese Tea Garden has funding to do to create more accessible pathways and better wayfinding signage and new mapping uh, for the tea garden. Um, curb ramps and crosswalks. Uh, there are 10 curb ramps and three crosswalks that are, that are due to be um, either, either created or improved uh, along JFK and the surrounding area. And those are due, the work is supposed to be starting uh, in the beginning of 2024 on those crosswalks and curb ramps. This slide is an image of some of the uh, curb ramps and crosswalks, showing the location of some of them. I realize it's mostly showing um, closer to around 10th Avenue, um, but not the whole area, and it's, it's very small and hard to see anyway, but um, it shows that they're, they've all been designed and the work is due to get started. Uh, Conservatory of Flowers, um, accessibility, uh, there are in um, looking at the feasibility of providing a drop-off at the bottom of Conservatory West, and this slide just shows the intersection of Conservatory West and JFK. Um, if they're able to provide that, that would uh, provide, allow people to drop, drop people off or pick them up right at the accessible pathway that leads to the entrance to the Conservatory of Flowers. And pedestrian safety. This is the final part. I'm sorry this is <laughs> taking so long. Um, uh, so we're still studying the best options to ensure pedestrian safe, safety on the JFK promenade. Um, the installations that have been on the promenade have, have helped calm the, um, the cyclists. Who are, and scooter riders who are going uh, tend to go pretty fast. We have we have noticed a calming effect of the installations, um, and um, doing doing some research, we found that there's actually only been four reported collisions. This is there there could be underreporting, um, but on all the car free, free roads, so not just JFK, there have only been four collisions, uh, and only one of those is between a bike and a pedestrian. Um, the other ones have been either between a vehicle and a pedestrian or two bikes. Um, and um, 
So of course this could be underreported, but that's com in comparison to 41 collisions that were reported during the same period, July 2021 to March 2023, um, and 41 that occurred on roads that do allow vehicles. And this is just uh, slide 56 is just a picture of the doggy diner heads that were installed on JFK um, as one of the installations that we've seen to be kind of calming some of the, the fast moving cyclists and scooter riders. Uh, and so that's my presentation. Uh, sorry that it was uh, took so long. Um, but my information is on the slide there. And as I said, the, I'll share the most recent version of the slides that also has the link to the, um, the updated reports. Thank you, Lucas. And really, I, I, I'm welcoming all of the work that you're doing. And uh, don't apologize for all of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. Okay, so we do want to move um, on to public comments and make sure that um, we we hear them before nothing else. So, um, clerk, um, we want to. Do we have to do we have the instructions for public comments read? Yes, please. Yes. So, clerk, could you please read the instructions? If I can ask the control room, please adjust the camera onto me, John Costa. I have a close-up of me, John Costa, not the interpreter at the podium. There we go. General public comments. At this time, members of the public are willing to approach the um, council for comments to the recent presentation. Members, members will have up to, um, pu public will have up to three minutes unless the council decide because of time constraints that they have to limit the time allowed for members. For those joining through a webinar using their tablet or smartphone or using the WebEx app, you'll notice the three dots um, where you can find the feature to click the raised hand, or you can um, make comments using the Q&A feature. And if you're using your laptop or um, home computer, then you'll notice that the option for raised hand or Q&A at the top of the screen, up to the upper left-hand side. Um, uh, on the laptop or home computer, you'll, the, the option actually is at the bottom. So, and if you're joining by phone, then please um, mark star three, and we will prompt you when it's your turn for comments. We may proceed with council members. So, this is Nicole speaking on behalf of the clerk. Uh, we will begin with anyone in the room who wishes to make public comment. You may approach uh, the podium at this time, and then the clerk will give you your signal to begin. Is there anyone in the room? Okay, one moment. 
Okay, go ahead. Okay, thank you again. My name is Tina Martin, and I'm with Transit Justice, which is part of SDA, Senior in Disability Action. I want to thank uh, Lucas Tobin for his presentation. Uh, you've answered a lot of my questions, and I wonder if maybe you could speak to one of our meetings, at one of our meetings of Transit Justice. I took notes <laughs> in the old-fashioned way with a pen. Um, there's a couple of things about the shuttle buses I want to be sure about. Um, you mentioned a low-floor vehicle that would be coming late 2024. Do you mean only one or a fleet of these low-floor vehicles? That's one question I have. Um, because I know that some people have told me that one problem they have is that they, the shuttle buses don't have a way of pushing up. When they're seated, they have, can't get a way of pushing up. And you know, that can be very difficult. Uh, for, for people who are old or people who have disabilities. So that's one, one thing that we're concerned about with the shuttle buses being uh, ADA compliant and, and meeting the needs of the people uh, who have disabilities. Um, and then I have, I have a star by onboard information. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I think I might have actually met Emily. I didn't catch her last name, the person who was hired, because I was taking a shuttle bus with... Uh, with a friend, uh, and she was making a comment that there was no signage, there was no way that people knew where to get off and where, to, uh, where, where they were going to be next. So now I think maybe that very same day, she came on and I, she was measuring something to, be, just to have such signage, and I think that the presenter mentioned that uh, they did now have uh, maps on the bus so that people know where they're going, and that they also have trained the drivers to announce the stops. Um, so that's good. That's a, a plus in changing. I have a couple of other things too, but it's hard to find them. Oh, benches. I, you, meant, you referred to mention, uh, benches a couple of times, and I, kn I do know that a lot of the benches in Golden Gate Park don't meet the needs of people with disabilities. Uh, so I hope that those are being replaced. I don't know exactly what the status of that is. If you, to if you mentioned it, I, I didn't catch it. So again, uh, I think those are the main things that we've been concerned about. People having seats on the shuttle buses that they can actually, they have something to, to push up on. But that's my time up. So I hope to be in touch. Thank you for your comment. Uh, is there anyone else in the room that would like to make public comment at this time? Okay, thank you. And we're going to check uh, uh, for anyone online one more time. And we're getting notification that there are no hands raised. So uh, that closes public comment on this item. Director Bond, I have a question. This is Co-Chair Albers. Does um, Lucas have um, a chance to respond to uh, Ms. Martin's comments. Typically, during public comment, we um, uh, we don't do public response to the public comment. Although I do invite Lucas. I'm sure Lucas will connect. And um, Lucas, maybe when you uh, talk with the council again, you can provide your contact information one more time. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, we sure. Uh, so my direct email is lucas.tobin at sfgov.org, and my phone number is 415-831-6834.
Okay, thank you. All right, um, moving quickly due to council members for comments. Um, anyone have any comments? I'll start with Alex, co-chair Alex Madrid. Thank you, uh, Lucas. I, we have some questions for you. Um, so, first of all, thank you for coming back and it's very informative um, presentation today. I have a lot of questions, <laughs> but let's start with a few key things that um, sparked my interest. One is that you mentioned about uh, someone who de denied access on the shuttle bus. Um, I just curious on what's your procedure on that front and what without any diversion information uh, with, um, with that, uh, with that residence. I just curious on what happened that couple of incidents. So yeah, one incident, somebody was um, at Hayton Stanion Street and tried to board the shuttle with a power wheelchair and the, the shuttle driver thought that she wouldn't be able to secure the chair um, because it's got wider tubes. And what we think is that she didn't, she didn't look closely enough to, uh, at the chair and, um, and see if it had um, tie downs, yeah. you know, places to attach the yeah. tie downs. Um, and so, so what we're doing to address that is to just make sure that the drivers have better training. Um, and uh, and really know how to look for because there sh there shouldn't be as long as the chair can can meet the weight requirements it, it shouldn't it it shouldn't be denied access mm -hmm. um, unless you know that's been modified in some way the operator has said that you know makes it so you can't tie it down but really there, that shouldn't happen there should be you know, places to anchor the tie downs. Mm -hmm. So that's what we think probably happened. And so that what we're doing is, is helping make sure that they ramp up their training and that we are participate more, that Emily is gonna participate more in the training. Do we know what happened to, to that person or people? Do we give them um, accommodations or anything like that? Well, and I worked with the, yeah, oh, sorry to interrupt. And then I just curious, did we pull the driver aside and we train the driver? So we, we still need to actually make sure that the driver's trained on all different types of chairs and, uh, and make sure that she knows how to um, tie them down, that particular driver, but all the drivers, too. Yeah. Um, and make sure that apparently she called her supervisor and the supervisor backed her up and said, no, you don't have to take that type of chair, um, which did, doesn't make sense to us. Um, so, so, uh, so we still need to make sure that she's, you know, yeah. really knows how to, you know, do different, all different types of chairs. Um, yeah. So they're going to, um, 
usually the provider does training when they onboard somebody yeah. new and then they do it once a year and we're we want to make sure that they do that more often and emily's going to participate in the training okay and then um the second question you mentioned about um um the, the blue zone uh, parking for riches i don't know um is it true that most of those accessible parking spot is more is or I forgot what section of the park. I just curious do we have anything on the either side of the park or are we only targeted on quote unquote the busy section of the park? That's a really great question. That yeah, we're, we're we've been focusing way more on the eastern section of the park because that's where the museums are and the conservatory and all the gardens are there that people visit. McLaren Lodge is there. Everything that you know, the main attractions of the park are there. <clears throat> but we we did look at um, at the available blue zone parking in the western end of the park, and there are some areas where uh, where we could use more blue zone parking there um, to to make sure people can access some of those spots. And there's some that were identified as, as maybe being easier to do um, than others. Um, but that is some work that that needs to be done. Um, yeah, but you're right. It's it's you know the main focus has been that eastern section of the park, you know that part of JFK and uh, and everything so far. Um, the la thank you for that. The last question I have is that when it comes to event and accessibility, thank you for that and making sure that all events are relatively accessible. Do we or do you have anyone that possibly do a as excuse by lacking of the term sting operation when <laughs> someone is having a event that is say it's accessible but it turns out it's not accessible and what's your protocol on that? <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't. Uh, another great question, Alex. Um, so I, I do that myself for some of the big events. I'll go and, uh, you know, I went to Hardly Strictly Bluegrass on the first day this year. Um, I go by some of our other events and, and, and check them out um, and take pictures and, and take notes. And, you know, I've sort of thought, well, is there is there some, at some point, do we have something like, like, what the health, health inspector does and you know when they go and check out events but to make sure that that everybody's doing the right thing for compliance with that you know mm -hmm. or will we someday be able to do that or debbie and i have even talked about should we have people members of the disability community who who help us with that and help give yeah. you know feedback um for events um but right now it's it's me and and what we do is really try to positively and nicole and debbie have both helped with this where we 
you know, meet with the event organizers and, be, you know, hopefully well before the event and really help them with that. And most of them are, are open to, to doing things, but a lot of times they just don't know. They don't have the, you know, they just don't have the experience. Um, so that's part of why the toolkit, the accessibility toolkit is about providing resources for them. Um, but then we also have the checklist so that they're really asserting that, attesting that they, they understand what they're supposed to do and they're going to do it um, so that, that we can follow up with them and tell them, you know, if they, if they don't do something. Yeah. Right. I think that would be good that they need to use actual people so that they can actually um, see and bring me down the line there is some kind of um, on the spot um, quick fix. I don't know. Something to um, think about. Thank you for coming and I hope um, you come back today. I'll come back anytime you invite me. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, council members. Thanks, Alex. Anyone else? Um, Orchid. Yes. Hi, this is Orchid, and I'll just pause for the camera to um, focus on me. I'm over here in the council member's chair, waving in the green sweater. <laughs> Still over here, waiting for the camera to get, thank you. Okay, so I just have a few questions. <clears throat> the first one being the, regarding EV chargers. I know they're difficult to find. I know the garage has paid parking and there's uh, EV charges there, but I'm wondering around Golden Gate Park, are there e any EV charges uh, available for use? Um, I'm thinking about it being in the middle of the city. You know, I do drive uh, around and I pass bringing my son to various programs and I go around that area. So I typically take the long way around. It can be a challenge because it can be confusing when you're driving to find parking. Um, oftentimes you're trying to uh, navigate getting around cyclists that are going at, at high speeds. And so my suggestion is that uh, on 25th, at the end of 25th there, where cars are permitted to access that area, I think it'll be a little bit of work, and I think um, there has been an accident there in the past. Anyway, that, getting across there would be a point to think about. I, you know, I think trying to drive slowly there and also having cyclists go slowly would be important. Maybe even having a place to stop there just for a moment. Um, I'm thinking about Golden Gate Park at that end there near 25th. Um, and, then, um, and then a few more things. I just have a few more things I wanted to check in about. A couple more things. Regarding the events that Golden Gate Park has, I'm wonder, wondering who's responsible for accommodations, specifically ASL, and ASL, ASL English interpreters. I think there's a person to contact, but I'm not quite sure if that's the right person. Um, also, the shuttle bus. Hmm. I think I've waited for the shuttle bus before. It's very confusing. That system is not clear. It's not great. And it's forced, uh, you know, my husband and I to do quite a bit of um, walking around, you know, which was 
you know, pleasant. We saw some interesting things that I didn't notice before. Uh, however, getting to the place where we could actually access the shuttle bus was difficult. Um, so I think that thinking about um, what that feels like, you know, and just how to get to certain places can be tiring. So I know I gave you a lot of information and asked a few questions, so I just wanted to put those things out there. Thank you. Thank you, we're good. Um, Are we good? Okay. Um, so great questions, thanks, uh, Orchid. And the, your first question, I, that's, a, that's a great point, and I don't know if anybody's looking into EV chargers in the park or around the park, um, but, but I think it's a great idea, and uh, you, know, you see them in other parking lots. I know they have them in the Presidio in some of those parking lots. Uh, I drive an EV for, for work, and so I'm looking for them sometimes too. Um, and so, so I don't see why not um, that, that we couldn't have them, you know, maybe in the accessible parking lot or in the garage once we take the garage over or things like that. Um, so that's a great comment. Um, your second one about, I think it was about the events and who do people contact about um, uh, accommodations, interpreters and things like that. And if it's a recreation and parks event, um, or one that we're co-sponsoring with Parks Alliance or something like that. It, it would you so if it's a specifically rec and park event, it, it's me um, since I'm the ADA coordinator for programmatic access, and my information should be on the event information. Um, and uh, if you find an event where you don't see that information, let me know, and, and I'll I'll fix that. Um, but for other organizers' events, we, we let them know that they need to provide somebody for people to request accommodations, and we help, help them with the resources and how to do that. We direct them to the MOD website um, that has resources for sign language, sign, sign language interpreters and real-time captioning and those types of accommodations. And then the third question, I'm trying to remember what the third question was. Uh, uh, driving oh. near the end of um, where the bicycles are at the end of the park at 25th? Uh, well, I think you also were talking about the shuttle and trying to, uh, and having difficulty finding. So this is Orchid again, so sorry. I'm just thinking about the, the area where people are coming. There's a stop and go section. Um, and the hard part is also running. Um, you know, cycle, rather cars are delayed because it's an unexpected stop. It's not, um, a, not a great location. So the issue is cars, um, it's, a, it's a weak, um, it, runners and cyclists are not stopping in this, in what is, should be a designated stop for them. So it causes confusion and then potential collisions. And this is a place where cars are crossing the road at 25th Avenue. So uh, that's, I, I'll take note of that um, and talk to the, um, the manager of Golden Gate Park and, uh, and, and see um, if we can look, look into that more and um, see if there's something that needs to be done to help make sure it's more clear that, uh, to make sure it's safer there. But maybe if you can share with me the, the information, you know, exactly where it is, uh, send me an email, that would be great. And then the event was, was there something else or did I cover everything? Shuttle, the oh, the shuttle, yeah. The shuttle, um, so that's good feedback we're working to. I didn't mention, but I had a group of SF State students who did a project where they were actually doing photographs and text directions of 
where the shuttle stops are and how to get to different destinations from the shuttle stops, and that hasn't been published, but hopefully the intern that's coming can also publish some of that information. Um, but any feedback that you have to help make sure, what we're finding is, you know, we really want to get more, more of the disability and deaf uh, communities out to use the shuttle um, and senior community uh, out to, to ride the shuttle, and we definitely welcome feedback about how to make it better, um, but just getting the information out there in the first place um, is, is very important. So, um, so if you have feedback about, you know, how it's not, the information's not clear uh, or confusing like you're sharing, um, definitely you can, you can send that to me, and I'll make sure that Emily gets that information as well. Okay. Are you good, Orchid? Yes. I'll turn it over to you, Co-Chair Alpers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, I want to just make sure that um, Denise on WebEx, do you have any comments? Um, Sherry, not at this time. Thank you very much. Thanks My so much. questions have all been addressed Perfect. through the council. Thank you, Sherry. Okay, and I'm going to yield my time, um, Lucas. I will email you, but it does pertain to um, guide dogs um, with the shuttle. Um, and all that, but I will send you an email. Um, and I'm going to ask now for uh, members of the MOD if you have any comments or questions for Lucas. I will also be very brief. We need to get to our break. Thank you again for being here. I just wanted to. Um, uh, mention for folks that MOD is also committed to helping with making sure we have appropriate training for shuttle drivers. I have been out there myself uh, to demonstrate and help, and, uh, and MOD will continue to be involved, so please do let us know whatever support you need there so that we can make sure that that training happens. And thanks again uh, for coming today. Okay, thank you, and we'll definitely be reaching out. Excuse, excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, is that Patricia? Oh, sorry. I have my hand up. Oh, hello, Patricia. Welcome. I'm sorry that you, um, I, I overlooked you. I didn't mean to. Um, do you have a quick comment for Lucas? This is Patricia. Um, uh, yes, I do. Council uh, thank you. Uh, I apologize. I had computer problems. I wasn't able to sign in during his presentation. Uh, but I was able to hear Tina Martin, uh, who's a friend and colleague of mine from City College. Uh, Tina and I made a trip to Golden Gate Park a while back, it was quite a while ago, uh, just to check out the availability, uh, accessibility of the uh, new parking lot behind the band shell. And I wanted to make some comments about that. Uh, my disability is uh, lack of mobility. And uh, uh, to get down to the band show was a very, very long hike. It was much too far for someone at my level of disability. Uh, so if there's some way to put in a ramp behind the band show so uh, disabled people can get more easily down to the floor of the area for the band shell. And also, uh, Tina mentioned the, the benches uh, where you wait for the bus. Um, 
I have to tell you that the normal height of benches just do not work for a lot of disabled people who have mobility problems because they're very weak. Their legs are weak, their arms are weak, and someone like myself needs about 26, 27 inches with a seat that has arms. So definitely, uh, if you want to make the bus uh, waiting area uh, accessible for disabled people, you have to see that they can sit down and get up uh, uh, with, uh, without having a lot of difficulty. So uh, I would like Mr. Tobin to perhaps address that with me uh, at, uh, at a later time after this meeting. Um, so uh, I found the, uh, that that parking lot was accessible only to the uh, Japanese tea garden. Uh, the banjo was too far. Uh, I could get to the museum because it's mainly just flat. But getting down to the band shell was, was really uh, very tiring and fatiguing and difficult. <clears throat> uh, also, I was just, I was wondering, I just want to put this out there, a lot of people like myself uh, don't feel safe on a shuttle. So I've never been on a shuttle. Uh, and I was wondering, these the, the light shows that you have during the winter, uh, have you ever considered opening up JFK one night so people who are disabled can see the light show in a private car where they feel safe? Uh, I think that would be a very generous and appropriate uh, gift uh, to the disabled community so they would be able to see the light show because I never have because I don't feel safe getting on the shuttle or getting off the shuttle. So those are my comments and thank you for listening. Thank you, Patricia. And um, we'll, we can provide you with uh, Lucas's email and phone number contact for further discussion. Thank you. This is, yes, this is Nicole speaking. I, I would encourage the council to collect your uh, recommendations and uh, and bring them forward to Lucas and Recreation and Parks as, as follow-up to this item. Uh, that's all. Thank you, Director Bond. Um, okay, Lucas, again, thank you so much for your very comprehensive report, and we look forward to hearing from you again um, with another update. And... Happy holidays to you. <laughs> so at this time, we are behind schedule, but I think some of us may need a bio break. So it is 2.53. I am going to call um, a five-minute break so we can... Yes, Alex. Can we do it? Ten? Ten. Okay, we're going to do a ten-minute break. So we are going to be back here at 4.04. 304. 3.04. 3.04. PM, sorry about that. Thank you.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, go ahead, Co-Chair Albers. I believe we are ready to begin. The captions are working. Okay. And all microphones are on. Go ahead. Thank you, Director Bond. Welcome back, everyone. Um, moving along with our agenda, the next item is the update on um, the accessibility of shared spaces. Okay, um, this is going to be presented by Gregory Slokin from the Department of Public Works and Monica Munich from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Thank you so much for coming today. We're looking forward to your presentation. I believe are our presenters virtual today? We are. Hello. Hello. Uh, this is Monica Minowich. Can you hear me okay? One second. We are just getting the, um, the visual in the room. Hi, Monica. And I believe that um, Gregory might be there too, although you're behind our interpreter bubble, Gregory, just so you know. Is that you? Yes, it is. Okay. Me. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good, afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay. So, okay. Uh, please go ahead. We're moving the interpreter bubble. We can see your faces for the time being. Uh, please go ahead. Thank you, Co Chair Albert. Thank you. Um, well, good afternoon. Again, my name is Monica Munowich. I work at the SFMTA and I'm the Shared Spaces Program Manager. I just wanted to give a brief introduction, and I know we've provided uh, created just a few slides that Gregory will um, will go over our permits manager at Public Works. But um, again, good afternoon. Um, shared spaces, just a quick update on where we're at, um, and our core priorities at this moment are that um, the pandemic program, of course, ended 
in March of this year, and we're in the process of transitioning into our new post-pandemic program. We're not so new anymore. Um, but that means that everyone that had parklets or sidewalk tables and chairs or roadway closure shared spaces that ended in March um, needed to reapply um, for this new program. So um, they reapplied and um, there was a 180 day grace period. So there was a period after March that went through the end of September that folks had to submit applications, make adjustments needed to come into compliance. Um, and we're obviously past September, but basically that means that right now um, we are in the process, continue to be in the process of processing all of those applications for less than about 600 parklets applications. So the program as a whole has shrunk a good amount from what we saw two years ago, um, which makes sense as, as people are now Monica. more safely able to operate indoors. Um, but basically, yeah, we're in December, about less than 600 parklet applications and trying to get everyone permitted, which means in compliance with valid permits. Um, we issued about uh, 30 to date, and Greg may have some additional slides on that, so I won't go over too many of the numbers, but um, just wanted to highlight that that means a lot of the parklets, the majority of the parklets that you see out there um, are not necessarily in compliance. That means we're continuing to work with them to make the adjustments and get their permits. Monica, so, this is Nicole. kind of common misconception if you're sort of Monica. out there and seeing inconsistency in parklets. Hello? That's what we're busy doing. Um, reviewing site plans, getting folks the information they need, the support they need to make modify their parklets, getting an and a new permit. Monica? That was really in the weeds, but just wanted to kind of share the timeline of what we've done over the course of 2023 and where we're headed in 2024. Um, and lovely to see you all, and I'll kick it over to Greg for some more specifics for you all. Before, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. My name is Gregory Slocum. I'm Wait a commercial is, permit manager I don't think they can hear. Bureau of Street wow. Use and Mapping. Uh, we're a division of Public Works. Um, I got about um, four Greg or five slides that I'm going to share um, today. Let me Hold see on, if I moment. can chat. Can we... So, like Monica said, um, we are still very busy working with our um, Hello, can you hear no. our businesses like, no, to get their structures legalized, which is to say we're looking at plans, we're reviewing everything. Hold on one moment here. It's giving me a little challenge in sharing slides. Email them. control room we do not have communication with the virtual right. participants can you help us with that one moment here i'm trying to share these slides monica and greg cannot hear us I'm wondering if the the moderator would be able to open these if we've submitted them in advance. So can you hear us, Greg? I don't think you can. 
Greg, can you hear us? We've been trying to get your attention. Can you hear us now? Okay. I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay, great. So, <laughs> sorry about that. We've so, um, so are you not you're so thank you. Are you not able to share your slides right now? That's correct. Um, I'm happy to narrate the information that's on the slides. There's not anything there's not anything on those slides that I certainly couldn't share with you verbally. How do you want to proceed, council members? Um, can I ask if Monica has access to the slides? I do. I could see if I have, um, yeah, I can try to do the share screen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, let me take a shot. Um, At the meantime, control room, can you share the slides? No, it's we do it. No, oh, we, we need to do it. We just, we have a new, thanks for your patience. We have uh, first time folks on the, on the staff helping today. So uh, I know you both, you're very good with the flow. So thank you so much. <clears throat> Are we trying to get the slides or what are we doing here? I am, yeah. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. This is Sherry. Do you see my screen with the presentation or no? Uh, no, we need the control room to bring you back on this, on the, uh, in the room, please. So we can check right now the camera is on, uh, no, not yet. <clears throat> Can we, is it, is it okay? We're, we have the slides, have yeah. we posted them already online? Debbie, have we posted them? Have we posted the slides online? They will be posted online. Okay. All right. I think for the. They should be on the laptop. Yes. Hey, I don't know if we're able to flip between the presenters and the laptop, though. So I think for the purposes of time, and I apologize. Um, I think for the purposes of time, Gregory, if you could um, slowly go through the content um, verbally, and then we'll have time for public comment, and then if you could just uh, entertain the council members' questions, um, if there's anything um, that would need clarification. Is that all right? Does that sound like an okay plan? That, that's fine with me. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. All right, great. Okay. Sorry about that, council members, and uh, we'll make sure that you have access to the slides and they will be uh, posted online um, as when we're back in the office as well for members of the public. Okay, so go ahead, Gregory, and if the control room could please, um, thank you, bring us back to Gregory and Monica. Go ahead. Thank you. All right, good afternoon. So. <clears throat> 
to Monica referenced earlier, we have been transitioning from the pandemic program to the legislative program. And if someone was curious as to what the defining differences were between those programs, uh, we're requiring plans as a part of applications for our legislated program. And that's gonna promote a lot of accessible design because we're able <clears throat> to work with businesses to ensure accessible entrance and seating in advance of approving that permit. Whereas during the pandemic with self-certification, we had a lot less oversight. During the pandemic, there were four um, violations that we tried to prioritize enforcement of. That was accessibility, meaning path of travel in the right of way, fire safety, Sight lines, meaning visibility for vehicles when they're making turns that they're not obstructed, and then abandonment or blight. So my next slide depicts how we typically handle common violations in this program. Um, the best way for anyone to report a violation is always going to be 311. This will make sure that the proper agencies receive a complaint, that we don't do redundant work as a city, and that we're able to track a complaint as well. It's also good for data collection for presentations like this one. Um, most typically, when we go out to a site, we'll issue a correction notice, which is frequently abbreviated as a CN, and we'll identify issues on a site that should be addressed within 15 days. Um, we'll work with the business if it's a matter of day 16 or 17, they have a contractor scheduled to make a change. Uh, we wouldn't arbitrarily um, issue them a penalty, but we also like to give them a meaningful timeline um, as it relates to remediating an issue. We'll return in 15 days, if not sooner, to confirm that the changes have been made. And if they're not made, then this correction notice may escalate to a notice of violation, which is frequently abbreviated as NOV. And the notice of violation can also come with fines, um, depending on what the nature of the offense is and how easily it can be rectified. Um, so these can multiply from anywhere as $100 a day, 100 or up to 500. Um, I would note that we typically proctor penalties situationally, so we're going to approach each of these um, sites differently. And how we penalize a site may be based on our engagement with them and their willingness to make changes that have been prescribed in a correction notice. So it's not one size fits all necessarily, but this is a general scheme of escalation. I've prepared another slide um, of what we refer to as accessibility violations. And we reached out to the 311 team and we asked them to pull complaints in different categories um, that we thought would be of interest. And this is another reason why it's good to submit complaints via 311 because we can use it for tracking purposes. So from 2022, to 2023, we had 400 complaints of cafe tables and chairs blocking sidewalks. 
and we had an additional 600 complaints of display merchandise blocking sidewalks. We had a number of complaints that we, we refer to as ADA compliance. Um, these include lack of accessible seating, of which we had nine, a blocked curb ramp, of which we had 30, and 123 path of travel by uh, complaints, and then 100 complaints of wires or cables or tripping hazards across the sidewalk, 49 complaints about structures that extend onto the sidewalk. So this, this represents a year's worth of complaints for each of those corresponding categories. We typically seek to have an inspector out there within two to three days. Um, sometimes if we have a photo or we're able to engage the business directly in lieu of an inspection, we'll do that so that we can address it in a more timely fashion. Um, typically for our engagement, we may do a warm letter, um, which is just informational. Business may be ignorant of a practice. Um, they, be, they may be unaware that they are non-compliant and we're just reaching out to them and letting them know the best or proper way to do something. That may escalate into a correction notice or CN, which is a formal request to change something at the site which may in turn escalate into a notice of violation, which is a more punitive follow-up to that correction notice. Ultimately, uh, we can revoke permits. All of these permits are revocable at the behest of our director. And in some situations, we've actually um, removed a structure um, the city has, and at which point we would bill a business for that removal. So that's the conclusion of any remarks that I had prepared. Uh, for some sense of scale, um, at the height of the pandemic, I think we had over 1,500 participants in the program. We now have about approximately 600 applications for the legislative program. It's a little less than that. And we've got about 30 approvals. So what that means is that we've legalized about 5% of our applicants. We're continuing to work with them so that we can increase the number of approved permits. But I share these figures as a representative of the scale of challenge that we are going to continue to work through. That's all I have for the moment. Thank you. Um, okay, so go ahead to um, move to public comment. So we're going to move to public comment and clerk, would you please read the instructions? And if you could focus the camera on the clerk. Uh, at this time, we are open for comment from the general public. If you would like to comment on items of interest related to this presentation, each member has the opportunity to approach the council and make comment 
time limit of three minutes unless the co-chairs decide because of a lack of time that uh, allotment needs to be reduced. If you've joined us via webinar or a tablet or smartphone, if you tap on in the corner the three dots, you'll have the opportunity to quote unquote raise your hand and we will acknowledge you when it's your turn. You may also use in the webinar, you can use the QA function to make comments. If you're using a laptop or a desktop and you'd like to raise your hand, you can, as I mentioned, you can use the QA function, which is located on the bottom of your screen. If you're using a smartphone, calling into the phone, joining us via the phone system, please use the star three function uh, to be put into the queue and we will let you know when it's your turn to make comments. microphone one more addition if you would like a response to your comment please remember you can uh, contact us at uh, mod at sfgov.org or mdc at sfgov.org or 415-554-6789 and with that is there anyone in the room that would like to make public comment on this item today Seeing none, we're moving to um, online. Hello, uh, this is I believe William we have one. Uh, one. One moment, hi Will, one moment. I believe we have one person on uh, the call who would like to make comments. Are you ready, uh, John? Yes, that would be that, uh, that. Please go ahead, Will. Thank you. Uh, that would be me, uh, William Railing, speaking for Accessible San Francisco, which is an unincorporated nonprofit association. Thank you very much for the update. It's very uh, useful and important to get this information. Uh, you know, we definitely have seen um, improvements with um, park uh, uh, outdoor dining structures, in particular, that were not accessible, being re being removed. Uh, or being improved, uh, and it's uh, it's helpful. Uh, but we still see many that are not accessible, and so it's helpful to understand that now um, only 600 have uh, applied for um, for approval, and that of those, only 30 so far have been approved. Um, so uh, we um, are following that process and um, I'd uh, like to just add two, two remarks on the 311 interface. Um, those categories, uh, so I've looked at those categories when you try to make a complaint and you know they're not the best fit for just saying that this outdoor dining structure is not accessible, you know. Um, and it would be great if an additional category could be created that is 
right on point there, you know. So uh, that's why most of the complaints you're getting are on 311 are things like uh, blocking the sidewalk or which are important, but those are clearly stated as, as options in 311 and, and simply uh, complaining that a dining structure is not properly accessible itself is, isn't, isn't an option. So please consider adding that into 311. And then lastly, uh, you know, it's the devil's in the details, right? And when this, as this process moves forward, you know, definitely are concerned to see that the correct standards are actually applied. Uh, you know, there's a legal duty here to comply with certain technical standards, and therefore it's not okay, you know, for the city and county to give relief to those standards out of, you know, sympathy um, uh, or a desire, you know, to support uh, the business. Um, you know, these are outdoor dining opportunities for the public, and no member of the public should be excluded um, oh, by allowing uh, an inaccessible uh, structure. So, um, Thank you putting for your aside comment. the state, the federal ADA requirements, there are a full set of state law requirements regarding accessible structures, and um, and we certainly hope that those are all being consulted and uh, applied properly um, in this process. Um, okay. so, thank, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time and thank you for your comment. Do we have next public comment at this time? Through the chair, I just wanted you to know that we were having difficulty with our our timer function, so please be patient. I don't want our callers to feel like we're cutting them off. Um, it's our timer function that we're having difficulty with. Thank you for that. <coughs> one second, we're checking one more time, please. No more hands raised at this time. This closes public comment. Thank you. Okay, at this time, we are moving to council members' um, comments. Um, anyone here, Alex, do you have any comment? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Um, can we bring back the, the percentage to the screen? Control room, can you bring us back to Monica and Greg, please? There they are. Thank you for Thank you for your presentation, Greg and Monica. I know that um, this is new for you guys. Um, just curious on, um, just want to confirm with you too that um, it used to be 1,800 uh, shared spaces and now it's six. Hundred operation share spaces throughout San Francisco is it correct? The council member is asking for confirmation on what the change in the legislated program numbers are as a first question, please. And if you guys have um, difficulty uh, understanding what I'm saying, please say something. 
No, no, I understand the question. Um, so we have about 600 applications. So that's 600 aspiring participants in the program. Um, based on our experience, we believe that there will be some attrition and that 600 um, applicants does not necessarily mean that we'll end up issuing 600 permits because over time folks get fatigued once we do plan review and we avail them of changes that they may need to make they they take a step back and they realize oh wow um i really don't it's not worth it for me to make these changes i'm just going to remove it outright so it's been very common that we had some folks begin the process and then ultimately remove the structure um and then additionally Part of the review, the MTA evaluates how many linear feet or parking spaces they'll be allowed to occupy. And a lot of sites are being reduced from two to one, or uh, they're unable to gain consent from an adjacent neighbor for the legislated program. So maybe they had one and a half before, and now they have to reduce to one. Okay. So uh, 600 applications, 31 approved now. And I would see the approvals will continue to grow, hopefully, but the overall number of applications will likely drop. So I guess. I just, just to jump in quickly, Greg, that was perfect. Um, obviously, we still get some new applications. Um, for the most part, what the numbers Greg is referring to is all the, the pandemic folks that are transitioning over, but um, new businesses open up, they want new parklets. Um, and so those. Um, while not significant over time, could also okay. the program. Thank but, you. So thank crystal ball to see where we thank end you. up in the year. Thank so. you for that. So follow-up question on that piece is that um, I, I understand um, during COVID, there was about 1,800 um, spaces or Roughly about 1,800 or 1,600 uh, uh, share spaces. Is that correct? And continue operation. Correct? And our team is being very methodical. So we have a number of sites that we know operated during the pandemic. And if they didn't apply for a legislative permit, we've reached out to them and we said, hey, confirm with us when you remove your junk, please. And we wait, we document, we maintain a list of everyone that's removed it. We maintain a list of folks who haven't removed it and they haven't applied. And we follow up with them and we let them know if you don't apply, then you can get a notice of violation, which can have a fine and other penalties that you would seek to avoid. Then we have folks who apply, but they don't really follow up. They did the bare minimum as it relates to submitting an application, but maybe they've been non-responsive or they haven't been diligent. And then we follow up with them and remind them the need to, um, to complete the application. So there's many different tiers of participants as it relates to transitioning from the pandemic into what the future of the program will constitute. And we're just always constantly trying to lend a hand with the people that we can help and pull into approvals. 
and then wag a finger at the folks that have not demonstrated um, the activity that we require from them to legalize the parklet. Okay. Thank you for clarification, and I think it would be good. I think whatever you guys doing is good. Um, the last question I have is that when it comes to um, complaint and validation, I understand there was a, a fine of 100 depending on the validation and and I know that you mentioned Greg that um, you guys do follow up um, within five to fifteen days. I just curious right now which ties on the graph that you're mentioning about um, every um, the blockage on um, the sidewalk and accessibility. I just curious on how do you um, separate those two because those two can be the same as blocking accessibility and blocking the sidewalk. So, and just one of um, um, sub-question, and then the second question on that is that when you um checking up on if the um, businesses change or not compile, um, not agreeing with um, any legal action, what I, I know that there is a fine, but are they um, a warning? Be like, you know what, if you don't do this, you couldn't be revoked. And if you need me to repeat that, let me know. Okay. I, no, I think I got it. So for for sidewalk obstructions, um, <coughs> we we will go out and we will investigate. And with some sidewalk obstructions, it can be temporary, which is to say that someone sends a picture and there's an obstruction, and by the time we get there, it's been moved. It could have been a patron that pulled a chair out. Um, it could have been a new employee that doesn't know exactly where the merchandise display. We, we actually review a plan for merchandise displays, but they may be unaware that there's a configuration. So we typically would reach out to them and, and remind them of the need to maintain a clear path of travel, to maintain adherence to a previously approved set of plans, which in turn we reviewed for accessibility prior. So if you have approved plans, you stick to the plans, um, there shouldn't be any issues. The, the fines and the penalties, those typically we, we, it's a last resort. We've already asked someone very nicely multiple times. We typically, if before someone were to receive that type of penalty, we likely would have visited them in person. We would have sent them an email. 
and we would have physically posted a warning at the site itself. So we would have gone through multiple channels to try to rectify the, the issue. Okay, so another thing is that ultimately we could remove the permit or we could revoke the permit and we could remove the parklet. There are some instances in which a fine would not be appropriate because if it's a safe and imminent life safety issue, we're just going to pivot into probably removing the structure ourselves and then forwarding a bill to the Bureau of Delinquent Revenue uh, pursuant to the business's inability to remove it. So we'll tell someone you got to get it out of here. And if they don't do it themselves, we'll go out and do it and then bill them for it. Um, and again, these are like the penultimate escalations. It's not the first tool in our toolkit that we seek to use. We try to inform, educate um, first and foremost, and then the punitive measures are kind of on the back end of like, we're not having a very productive conversation with this participant. The last question I have is that, is this, um, and Monica, you can chime in if you need to, but would any, well, no, are there any pushback from this 600 applicant or, or ongoing um, pilots that continue to operate and refuse to comply? Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm glad you asked, although it's unfortunate that that's so much of our work. Um, we very much have pushback and empathy that businesses, you know, had a situation for a couple years, even if it was temporary, it still feels like there is ownership over that space. So when there's information about having to make changes that are costly, it, it often doesn't, um, it often, it's a challenging conversation and there's pushback. Maybe it's, Greg alluded to this earlier, but maybe it's because they're costly. They invested thousands of dollars in the park that already, the changes are additional thousands of dollars. Um, or maybe it's changing their footprint, which means a smaller parklet or sidewalk tables and chairs, which means fewer tables, fewer, you know, less revenue generated. Um, so it's just, it's a big transition period and trade-off, um, but that really means we have to hand, handle each one with a lot of communication um, and visits and kind of work to get them to a space to hopefully stay in the program and continue to invest and that they see that it's something that's still viable for them, but it, it may not be for everybody. Um, but yeah, your question is, there is pushback, um, and unfortunately, the, the citations and fines are a last resort if they're not willing um, to make changes, um, and they effectively just don't have a permit to operate the space any longer, and they're not in good faith progressing towards permit issuance. So those are people that we're rolling out every week and sort of every month, warnings, citations, um, if people are, are not wanting to, to make the changes that they need to. Thank you, the Thank chair. You. If I might clarify, uh, Monica, you, when, you, when, when you and Greg are talking about 
um, pushback. I think what Coach Madrid is referring to is around the specifically the accessibility piece, right? Yes, and so refusing to accommodate and comply the ADA compliant and don't want to change physically or refuse to comply with the city um, mandate. Are you are you are either of you able to speak to specifics around um, attitudinal compliance with uh, disability access laws? Yeah. Also, I apologize for just jumping in and, and not getting that correctly. But Greg, yeah, take it away. I think from my perspective, I see a lot less of that. But No, I think that's a good point, Monica. And thank you for that information. And Greg, are you going to speak on that? Hi, this is Gregory with Public Works. So, yes, one of the one of the big challenges is under the pandemic program, we allowed accessible seating as a supplement on the sidewalk. So a structure in a parking space did not necessarily have to have accessible seating if the business provided accessible seating on the sidewalk. A number of businesses created structures that did not include accessible seating as a result of this. When the program was legislated, one of the updates was that these structures all needed to include accessible seating. So there are some businesses that that were challenged by the notion that exceeding that they previously were able to provide and meet a requirement for accessibility was no longer admissible. And then I would say that the other uh, common pushback we get is just that it can be very challenging with grading to produce accessible structures on very steep hills. Um, and so that there are businesses that really, really want a parklet and really, really struggle with engineering one that meets accessibility and seating requirements. Thank you. And I, I, I'll return to um, Sherry. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for your, those responses. And we're gonna move on to Orchid. Do you have any comments? Um, just okay here we go thank you to the control room so I'll keep it brief uh, I'm in district 9 and whoever is doing the cleanup there in the Mission Street corridor at the 24th section has uh, been working quite hard or sorry rather it's been very challenging to get through on the sidewalk there's a lot of vendors and it's been horrific however there's been a massive improvement and I'm able to walk more safely, and um, I'm happy about that improvement. I hope it continues to stay that way, and thank you to whomever has been involved for that, whoever's uh, responsible for that. I understand small businesses want to thrive, and the goal is to connect community in spaces like this. And from that perspective, it's very important to allow those spaces to uh, have vendors, however, 
I think there is a lack of foresight as far as use of the space goes and accessibility. And I think that there could be some training and perhaps some areas where we could accommodate both small businesses and allow for accessibility and parklets. I noticed that there are a few places that have uh, uh, parklets in a parking area. And there's um, been graffiti that, um, and vandalism that's happened, and that uh, is on the business owner often to clean up. And then, uh, and I've seen that there's also some other concerns there. So um, in brief, just wanted to make those comments. Thank you. Thank you, Orchid. Is there any response? Oh, sorry. If we can go back to the uh, speakers, please. Um, hi, this is Gregory with Public Works. Um, I've been working with this street vending program. My team's also responsible for issuing permits. And the inspection team over at Public Works has been working in tandem with the police department over there on Mission Street. So um, it's been an all hands on the deck effort, so to speak. Um, we continue to work with vendors and with enforcement to reduce congestion in the path of travel there. Um, new rules have been adopted as they relate to the amount of space that vendors can occupy. And we're in the process of administering how we're going to place those vendors pursuant to these rules. So I think that that will, that may lead to less vendors or less permitted vendors within a defined space, which hopefully will ease congestion in the path of travel. So it's a continuous and sustained effort to try to reduce congestion and maintain safety in that area. Um, the public works team will continue to, to work with community groups um, in the area and we're always receptive to any type of education or training um, that may help promote accessibility therein. So thank you. Back to you, Sherry. Thank you so much. Um, okay, I'm going to the uh, WebEx now. Um, Denise or Patricia? This is Denise. I have no questions at this time. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. And Patricia? Uh, uh, neither do I. I don't have any questions. Thank you. Okay. Um, this is Sherry, and I just want to comment that um, it's it seems an incredible amount of uh, vendors or establishments to go from 1,500 pandemic to post-pandemic 600, and that's a very daunting um, task to track down the 900 that did not apply um, to make sure that, you know, that they're not still operating their, their parklets or shared space. Um, and uh, I also find it um, amazing, or whatever the word is, that when it went from the regulations in place for accessibility during pandemic, um, and then now that it's a legislature, legis or federal um, mandates, but um, 
is it that much of a difference in in the compliance because if they had just been in compliance during pandemic what how much of a difference is it going to the new program with the federal legislation so on behalf of the speakers i think gregory or monica if you could talk about <clears throat> the just broad categories of compliance that we look at in the shared spaces program. So disability access is one, right? But there are others. Yeah. It might be helpful to clarify that. Go ahead. Sure. Um, I'll jump in um, maybe briefly just to say that um, fire access and footprint and visibility at intersections um, oh, okay. The access are some of the main categories. So there's a whole host of things um, that, right, that maybe folks are not wanting to come into compliance with and then and continue with the program. So emergency access, like you need to have a three foot gap in the middle if you're over 20 feet long, um, or have three foot setback at the end of your parklet to have emergency access and clearance at the end of the parking stall between parking spaces or parklets. That's a common one. Um, and then, yeah, of course, and, and Greg can elaborate on the accessibility aspect of it and how different that is from pre-pandemic. But those are some of the main things, footprint, visibility, emergency access. Thank you, Monica. And none of that was specifically required for this during pandemic? Some of it was, and a lot, a lot changed or okay. wasn't enforced at the time. Okay. All right. I just didn't realize it was that much of a, a change where people are like, you know, now freaking out like they didn't, they'd never heard of it before. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. That's really all the, that's the, but thank you very much for what you're doing because that is a very um, important um, part of living, communing, and trying to do what we want to do in the city of San Francisco. So thank you. Um, so the um, MOD staff, do you have any questions? Just very briefly, I wanted to say a couple of things. This is Nicole speaking. Thank you for being here, Gregory and Monica. I wanted to highlight for the public that we also <coughs> worked very hard, and we have what I think is a very effective um, manual that really highlights all of the uh, accessibility requirements and with some exceptions that Greg has speaking, sp spoken to around grade and things, many, many of the accessibility requirements are, are very easily achieved. So I just want to emphasize that. And, um, and then also say that it might be a good time to look at, again, it's been a while since MOD uh, has uh, worked with um, the shared spaces folks on this, but really looking at how folks are, can um, uh, report an accessibility violation and make sure that's as easy to do and understand as possible. So uh, that's one of the commitments <coughs> at least that you'll have from MOD following this meeting. And then I just, again, encourage the council, if there's anything in particular that you would like as a matter of follow-up to uh, do that as a follow-up request to this, to this item. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Nicole. And again, um, 
Greg and Monica, thank you so much for your presentation today. We look forward to hearing from you again. Thanks for having us. Have a lovely weekend. Yes, you too. Thank you. Okay, moving right along. Um, I would like to turn our attention to MOD Deputy Director Debbie Kaplan for um, a report or information on any correspondence we have received this month or since our last um, MOD meeting, MDC meeting. Um, well, is my voice coming through? Yes. Okay, good. Um, good afternoon, council members. Um, for correspondence, um, the sole issue that you have received correspondence about in uh, the number of 50 plus messages is about a um, issue that you've already taken action on, and that is the no turn on red policy that you have written a letter to the MTA board in urging them to adopt. So this campaign is continuing and you have continued to receive correspondence about it that is all uh, based on a template. All of the emails are the same mm -hmm. and urge you to support No Turn on Red. Okay. Uh, thank you. This is Nicole speaking. I also want to add that um, the Mayor's Office on Disability did receive the aforementioned letter about uh, Holiday Plaza, and uh, we, um, if it hasn't been distributed to you as council members uh, yet, uh, it, it will be. It was just received this week. So please be expecting that uh, formal correspondence as well. Thank That's you, Director. All. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, um, clerk, we are now moving to our um, last opportunity for general comments. If you could please read the instructions one more time, please. Could I please have the camera on me? Great, thank you. Now at this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter uh, jurisdiction of the council, which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes, unless the co-chairs determine that in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a larger number of public comments. With respect to today's item-specific discussion items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded at the conclusion 
of each discussion item before each council's discussion begins, which has already occurred. If you'd like to respond, get a response from the committee, please contact us and provide your email address to mdc at sfgov.org with in the subject line, say request for response, or you can call us at 415-544-6789 to leave your comments. Thank you. And uh, we are ready and available for any general comments from the public. So we'll first start with anyone in the room uh, desiring to make public comment. Doesn't appear as if there's anyone in the room, uh, unless I, in my wheelchair I'm not seeing anyone. Uh, I don't see anyone. And we don't have anyone uh, who has raised their hand remotely either, so I believe we can uh, close public comment. Thank you, Director Bond. And at this point, we are moving to um, our last agenda item before we adjourn, which is council member comments or announcements. Alex. Yes. Thank you, Coach uh, Rich, I just want to say thank you for everybody for um, sticking with us this 2023, and I just want to say happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, whatever your holiday is, happy holidays to you, and I just want to say thank you for the staff and for the wonderful um um, interpreters that's sticking with us this one this year. So, um, as I'm forward, looking forward to seeing you guys in 2024. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Orchid. Oh, sorry about that. Thank you. Uh, Denise. No, Alex said it so eloquently. Happy holidays and thank everyone for their um, support. And we look forward to working with you and seeing you in 2024. See, I went in and said something anyhow. Thank you, council members, staff. Bye-bye. Thank you, Denise. Patricia. Uh, no additional comments from me at this time. Thank you. And this is co-chair Sherry. And I just want to say thank you for um, a great year on the council um, working with MOD. Um, it's been a pleasure working with the public. It's been a pleasure. Um, looking forward to seeing you all next year. And I wish you all happy holidays and um, a very peaceful new year. And I think if there are no objections, um, I am going to adjourn this meeting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oops.